Hello, legends, and welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the Club of United Business, Australia's number one members club connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. Today, we're catching up with Cub member Brian Lim, a space entrepreneur. In fact, he's the only space entrepreneur we have here at Cub, and he's the founder of a company called Wise Networking, which is incredible really it's the world's first air deployable communication tower now you might think oh that sounds a bit boring but it's actually not because what it's done and the problem brian solved is that brian and his team are able to reinstall communication during natural disasters allowing uh, authorities and first responders to communicate with those within the natural disaster whether it be a fire a tornado an earthquake me and brian spoke about uh, the space industry which is an incredibly fast uh, growing industry due to the decrease in cost of entry um, uh, we spoke about geopolitics and how the world's politics affects the space industry along with many others uh, and even spoke about industries that are experiencing exponential trends of growth um, and and it was really interesting to see that there are some spaces that are just growing dramatically it was a great conversation if you want to feel a little dumber than you currently do i would keep listening because he's a very smart dude but i did my best i hope you enjoy the show And we're live. This is the first podcast of the year 2021, and we've got a super, super cool guest, a long-standing Cub member, and would you call yourself a space scientist or space entrepreneur? Space entrepreneur. Space entrepreneur. As you know, I love entrepreneurs, so that's definitely cooler. But uh, welcome to the show, Mr. Brian Lim. How are you, sir? Very good. How are you today? I'm very good. I'm excited to share your infinite knowledge on all, a whole bunch of things with, with the listeners and, and get to know you better myself. Like I said, you've been a member for such a long time, but I know, uh, I guess, how clever you are, how smart you are, but I actually don't know that much about you as a person. So I definitely want to explore that more in this episode. But I wanted to tell a story because you finding Cub, you joined four years ago or something like that, but you found Cub in, uh, wasn't through marketing, wasn't through uh, really anything. You were on Richard Branson's Island. Yep. And uh, you, I think 10 other members had flown, had gone there for, 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 for a bit of an event that we organized. That's right, yeah. And you met them there and then came back and joined. Pretty much. Yeah, why don't you tell us about Richard Branson? What's he like? He's a really friendly guy. Like, it's his turf. It's his island, right? So he's like, wow, it's amazing. Um, and Richard Branson is actually quite down to earth. Mm -hmm. He's definitely hardworking. He's, he listens more than he speaks. And he does make a point about always keeping his word, even if when he can't. That's the way I would describe it. Like if you make a promise, you work to keep the promise. You don't mm -hmm. say, I'm sorry, I can't do it. You know. And I got told, I, one of the other members told me that when he speaks to you, he kind of looks down, like he's it's like a shy, or is that true or not true? I never had that from him. No, I never experienced no, I that. never experienced that. I mean, I understood that when he's like thinking, he would look down. Mm -hmm. He's like, oh, I'm thinking about something. I want to talk to you about it. You know, but that's normal behavior. Yes. I heard it from a few people and I was, I was wondering if you'd, if you'd experienced that. And the island, is it amazing? Or what were you guys doing there? Um, okay, to put it in perspective, the island sits up designed for about 30 people and there's 120 staff. Wow. So that's the kind of luxury he has on the island, right? So uh, he has a hot tub on the, high, on, the, on the big bungalow on the house, right on the roof. So you're actually hot tubbing under the stars. There's an infinity pool at every apartment, basically every bungalow you get to sleep in. Really? Yeah. Um, I have this weird story where I, you know, on the island we have electric go-karts, right? And I've never driven a go-kart before. So I went berserk on it. <laughs> and I joke, but the joke is with some of the people I went there was that I nearly killed them because of how badly I was driving it. <laughs> They're still alive. I want to be clear. Yeah, Just for the record, I didn't kill anybody on an island. You but know? it was close. <laughs> hey, if you're gonna if you're gonna die by go kart, I mean, where better place than Richard Branson's island anyway? It's pretty exactly. cool. It's Dying a pretty cool destination. Yeah, pretty cool destination. <laughs> well, anyway, you came back and you ended up joining the club because you'd met the people there, and I'm so grateful for that. But why don't you give us an introduction to what you're currently working on, what your business is? All right. Um, so I've started a company about two, three years ago, and it's called Wise Networking. And what we are doing is that we figured out how to build a miniature cell phone tower that can be dropped into an emergency to restore communications and is designed specifically to be dropped from planes and spacecraft. 
Okay. So if there is a natural disaster, for example, a tsunami or like the tornadoes that happen in the US or whatever, um, obviously the current uh, forms of uh, communication get destroyed because the towers get knocked down. That's right. And so what you guys do is almost airdrop in communication towers to reinstall communication so that better better communication yes. can happen in affected areas. That's exactly that correct? the case, yes. Wow. I'm impressed with myself that I got that. <laughs> We've been basically just come, we just come out of stealth. We've been working on the technology and the pattern behind the scenes for a very long time. Um, and we had to solve some really interesting problems. Like, and I'll talk it from reference from the fires, the, like the bushfires, right? So when you have these bushfires, this particular time, the fires were so hot, they would actually have their own weather, right? And I was told to expect up to 180, 200 kilometer winds. You know, wow. to deal with. So if you want to drop anything from the air, that's a bad idea. Um, so you drop a parachute, it'll probably melt the parachute before it hits the ground or it'll get blown away if the parachute get, catches air after landing. So those things don't work. Um, people have talked about using drones, but one of the things that that's really sad was when the fire gets really hot, it creates this wall of plasma. And this wall of plasma actually blocks radio signals. So imagine you're flying a drone and suddenly you lose signal and there's a plane coming in and it doesn't see the drone is about to hit it. Those are very scary things. Um, so communication restoration is like really hard for them. And since everything's burning, nobody knows what's going on. But how? So, but have you figured out a way to, to, to do it? Yep, 100%. How? So we designed our own craft. We call it a gyroshoot. It's a technology to replace the parachute. So... In a parachute, you know, you jump out of a plane with it, you pull a cord and it unfolds in this big cloth that you catch the air to slow down. Um, so ours is different. We don't have that. We, we throw it out. It's blades that open up. And it's like an eight-bladed craft that spins. It catches the air and starts spinning. And then it lands softly on the ground. And what are the blades made out of? Oh, right. Like metal. So it well, can't burn. Actually, no. We're actually right now having our versions made out of cardboard and polyester by request from the fire service. Why? Well, wouldn't that burn? That's the point. So they don't have to worry. It's, it's cheap. It can burn. They don't have to worry about recovery. All they need to do is protect electronics. Okay. And then they can recover electronics. That's the point of it. The idea here is to drop and forget. And you're saying that if it's made out of carbon, wouldn't that burn just as quickly as the, as the cloth of a parachute? But once it, hit, it won't burn until it hits the ground. And then it'll, it'll... Yeah. So firefighters work in the black. That means the fire burns mm -hmm. and they work behind the fire. So they're, they're not running away from the fire. They're always right? Mm -hmm. So they need to drop these comm towers first behind the fire for them to communicate. Okay. So therefore, I'm not worried too much about them burning. Yes. Now, if it's in the fire zone, they're going to lose a lot of things they can't pick up anyway. So to lose the craft, if it's made out of cardboard, no big deal. But they want to be able to go in, retrieve at least the comms electronics and get out. Yeah, well, even after the fire is done, you can still go there, get the electronics done. Yeah, so we also so figured how to do fire protection around electronics. Okay, so that's like kind of one of the products that you guys have designed. And there's other, like, for example, would, would you have the same technology for a tsunami? It's the exact same technology for a tsunami. What is the same technology? So, um, best way to look at it, in all these disasters that are mass destruction, earthquakes, floods, hurricanes, so forth, you lose your infrastructure, right? You, a tree goes down. The road is closed. A power line is cut. All the comms are down. Fiber optics cut. And because these are things that are spread out everywhere, one cut can take out a huge section of it. Mm -hmm. There's no alternative. You have to wait it out. So in this situation, the idea is we go in by air, we drop the whole thing. We don't need to rely to anything on the ground to restore communications. And that's the point of it. And so, so long as the main box can sustain the heat of the fire, the depth of the water... Whatever the environment is. Yeah. So <laughs> the whole of the earthquake. Yes. So look, if you're having a fire, the fire actually burns really quick. When I was in the field, I was watching this fire firefighters fighting. I saw 40 hectares burn in 40 minutes. Mm -hmm. But that also, and it's not the whole thing's on fire. It's just a parameter because it's burning true. So there's a lot of area you can drop it where you don't have to worry about the actual fire destroying it. Uh, yeah. yeah. Have I ever told you the story about when we, because uh, cup members raised 50 grand for the fire, uh, we donated to small businesses that were basically destroyed by the fires. And we were at the Cub Country House in Berry, and we uh, invited them in to, to give them the checks and, and um, to just hear their stories and, and whatnot. And one of them was saying that it was so hot that before he could see, before they saw the fire, things were combusting 
like trees would combust or a, the car would combust, like they would go on fire before the fire got there. Uh, like just the thought of that is, it's almost it's like a movie, oh, but a yeah. movie that you wouldn't believe. You'd be like, oh, that's unrealistic. Yeah, no, I. It's a lot has happened that nobody believes. Like one of the reports I got was that the fire was so hot that it caused the sap in the trees to explode. Actually, he mentioned something about that where trees were leaking and things like it was like it was melting and coming out. Yeah, but the word uh, you use it explode is because what happens is that they fire the branches into air, into the air like anti aircraft gunfire, and there are holes in the aircraft from this thing. Would the trees would literally explode. Yes, because the sap would heat up so much it would have to it would the energy would push it out. Exactly. So literally really? you have branches firing into the air and there are stories of like pilots who come back with branches in their wings. Oh my God. That's how scary it is. That is scary. I mean, nothing's more powerful than, than Mother Earth. And and so, but who do you sell this to then? So you're building this incredible technology to help, um, uh, you know, these big disasters. I'm imagining the US would be a good one for you because they seem to have disasters all over the shop. The whole country always has disasters. There's tornadoes and things going everywhere. Yeah. Earthquakes. Um, budget place. Who's your buyer, basically? Yeah, so it'll be the emergency services predominantly, right? Okay. The other one's responsible for it. So we are really having a lot of chats with all these of them. Is because when the emergency starts, it's their authority. Mm-hmm. They go, all right, we go in. We have to find people. We have to protect property in its lives and so forth. What do we do? Where do we go? Everybody get out of the area because we don't know what we need to do because it's a chaotic environment. So- those are the people we're talking to right now. How does that play out in the budget situation? Is that's the business case? Because no one has ever walked up to them and says, would you like to buy your own telephone infrastructure? Mm. And that's literally what's going on. What you're doing. Yeah. Do you know, actually, I actually thought of another story that one of the other um, fire victims that we donated money to told me. The fire had over, basically overtaken his house, but he, he stayed. He didn't, want to, he, he didn't want to leave, so he was fighting the fire. Anyway, it got so big. He went into his cool room into his house um, or freezer and he, he locked himself in there and he was uh, crying and, and he said, it wasn't because I was going to die. He goes, I, I thought I was going to die. I knew I was going to die. But he said, I was crying because I wasn't able to call my daughter because the phone, there was no communication. And he said he was trying to call his family to tell them to, to, to say, I love you. And he wasn't able to because there was no communication. So, I mean, that's um, – I thank the Lord that he lived and, and he's a beautiful, beautiful, kind man. But that's the type of thing that could be prevented with your technology. Yeah. And ultimately, regardless of all the complexity, right, just being able to send that one message in emergency is everything. Mm. To let your family know I'm okay, that's all that matters. And how do you do that? Well, once you log into the system – well, we're right now building a Wi-Fi-based version for testing – you log in, you can send an SMS and then you can just say, hey, honey, I'm okay. I will be out of comms, but I'm all right. I'll see you at XYZ. Oh, so you still text? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Text, vo- I'm tr- we're building it for what we call VVDS, voice, video, data, and sensors, right? That, that's basically everything the internet does. Yeah. So if we can deliver that, everybody gets to do everything. Just an idea. What if once you, <laughs> I don't know if this is relevant, but once you drop it, Okay, let's say I'm in a fire. I'm like, shit, I can't get out of this. And um, once you drop the new communication thing, instead of the phone just being normal, the phone picks up the thing, it automatically brings something up in the system and you have three uh, option points. I need help, I'm okay, uh, you know, something like that. And you just press it and it triggers that the particular signal so that way it's quicker, they don't have to worry about it. And if they want to send a message after, then they can. Yeah, we're, we're designing for that. Yeah, or if you're looking for a head of innovation, you can. Uh, I'm, a, I'm available. I'm not cheap. It's probably expensive as fuck. But hey, well, the, the, you're a scientist. You can figure out a way. <laughs> but um, and and so tell me, I mean, this is all very kind of out there. In that, like the average commoner like myself, in terms of brain power, it's hard to relate to the idea of building a, a communication system to, to the extent of what you're doing. So why don't you tell us a bit about you? Where'd you grow up? How'd you grow up? How did you get into this? Were you a little computer guy when you were a kid? Or were you, oh, tell us a bit. I want to know the real Brian Lim. Okay. Um, so grew up in Singapore as a kid. Um, and, you know, this was in the like 1980s. So Singapore wasn't the thing back then. 
and I loved it, right? Singapore, what Singapore is today is very different from what it was when I was growing up in the 1980s. Yeah, but right? that's because all the tax havens, no? Yeah. So all money's gone there. A lot of money's gone in, yeah. right? So like, it was a great place. I remember there was this, um, much of my youth, I would go to this place called Sim Lim Square. So any Singaporean would know what that is. That is actually like a, a singular building just for electronics. Like you can buy everything there. And I think in my entireness of youth, before I even got to Australia, I think I have built, dismantled almost a thousand computers between myself, my friends, and all the other stuff I used to do, right? Um, so I was really into the tech. Um, so I still pretty much can assemble a computer half blindfolded by today's standards. Wow. Um, so and that, so you were just interested in that as a child. Yeah, and I just really loved the idea of what it could do. And I was very keen. I was like, I get a computer. It's all right. This is a little bit more powerful. That means I can do this trick, that trick with it. I remember when I, like one of those early, early computer games, my computer couldn't do it. So I found a scrounged up RAM from another computer and put it in. And this is like, 1992, right? Like just trying to figure out how to put RAM in a computer on my own. Yeah. Nobody taught me anything. There was no internet to search. So I was just like dismantling. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. like, take this out. What does this do? Oh, I'll add this in. Oh, it changed that number on the computer. And what, what, what about your parents? Were, were they in technology or were they? And, um, my parents are doctors, right? Okay. okay. So, so they're smart. You got smart brains in your family. So, you know, I joke around. I'm a little bit like the black sheep in the family. They don't like me saying that. But like, they all went to go take care of the human body and every human being. And I go like, I'll just make sure the computers are working. Yeah. No, I would argue you're taking more. The cool thing about technology is whatever you do, whatever value you bring to the world, technology allows you to bring it to more of the world. For example, your parents may save... <laughs> this is a horrible way to talk about this. <laughs> but I'm going to say it anyway. Your parents could probably save... It, depending on what type of doctor they are, surgeons, whatever it is, but it's maybe a life every five hours, six hours, seven hours, depending on the surgery. But with your technology or with some of the – because I know you've had previous uh, things you've worked on, but let's use the current one. With your technology, you might be able to save 200 lives in, in, in the same amount of time. So yeah. really, you're more of a doctor than they are. <laughs> I will disagree just for the sake that my parents will listen to this and they will not be happy if I said otherwise. <laughs> I told you I'm going to talk you up in this podcast. Yeah, there's definitely, definitely. And okay, so your parents are doctors. Uh, you're Singaporean? Yeah, I'm Singaporean. So I came here, do the um, international student, did the degree, fell in love with the place. I tell people I grew cement boots and got stuck in the harbor. Um, and I just stayed here in Sydney and I really started building my stuff up. You know, I got my master's in IT, so I'll fix your Wi-Fi, fix your printer, did it all my life anyway. But the weird thing was like, I went to the industry for like 18 months and I was like, it wasn't my thing. I love the tech, but I didn't like the way business was being done. IT services. Yeah, IT, IT services. Yeah. Um, so my skill set is actually a network engineer. So I'm the guy who you need to put 10,000 servers in a rack, 15,000 computers online. You give me a call and I'll go do it for you. And this was, when I went into industry, cloud computing just begun. And I watched all my job career options in all the various companies drowned out into a handful of companies. Mm -hmm. So it was like, I joined the industry just as the industry, my strength for me. So I was like, there's not much opportunity left. So let's step outside and see what else is there. So then I, by necessity, became an entrepreneur because I was still waiting on my permanent residency. So it was very hard to get a job at my skill set. So I just said, right, I'll be an entrepreneur. I'll try to figure this out on my own. And can I ask, sorry, yeah. you, you obviously came, did you migrate to Australia by yourself or with your with your family? Um, my sister came first. Mm -hmm. So she came here like 97 and then I showed up like five years later, 2002, 2003. Okay, incredible. And and so you were forced in entrepreneurship. What was the first venture? Um, yeah. It's embarrassing as heck, but that's why I'll share it. Um, it was the black book for dating. I was trying to build a CRM to help me with my dating life. It's genius. It's exactly what a genius who wanted to date more people would do. Fortunately, it didn't work out. So, I because I learned that I just, trying to find a date to sort yourself out didn't isn't the way to go about no. doing it. <laughs> but it shows that your mind was in the right track because Tinder came and completely took over, and then you have all the other sub Tinders, mm -hmm. and now Instagram is basically a dating site anyway because that's yeah, where you get ninety percent of your date. Anyway, that's another conversation. Yeah. I wanted to go in one of the uh, topic points that you had um, in your prep sheet that I, I really wanted to discuss with you was the the space industry yep. as a whole. It's like the Elon Musk industry is probably, you know, would you call him the poster boy for the industry? At this point, yes. Yeah, he is. Like that's what I, everyone says that. But well, everyone, he's the one people know. Uh, Richard Branson did a stint, in, didn't he? Was he successful? Well, he has Virgin Galactic, Virgin Galactic and Virgin yeah. Orbit. 
Yeah. So, okay, so he's, 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 he's still there. He's still doing it. Okay. So I guess why don't you introduce us to that industry, what's happening, how it works, um, and how you get into the space industry. All right. So the industry is going to a big transition, right? So back in the day, it's effectively when you want to launch a satellite is you launch a giant supercomputer into space. And think of it this way. Your computer, if it crashes, you can hit a button to reboot it, change plug on to power, right? You can't do that for 20 years because that's the life of the satellite. So the standard to build to that is very high. That's what we would send up. In the last decade, what we found is how do we put the stuff in an iPhone in space? And that's one of the big transitions. What do you mean by that? All the parts that make a, a smartphone mm -hmm. can actually be used to run a satellite now. So a lot of people are now building super cheap satellites. Um, like I've literally been looking at build. There's, there's an open source kit. It's a satellite that costs $250 to build. It's basically does the equivalent of Hello World for programming. Wow. $250 to build. It's a great entry point starter. It's not expensive. Remember back in the day, these are billion dollar missions. I'm now telling you it's 250 bucks for you to build your own satellite. So the cost drop is enormous, enormous. And what the industry folks have is there's data. So the price of launch is dropping rap rapidly. Um, the reusable rockets from Elon Musk was the very clear cut where it was happening already. The cost of building satellites. Why is that? What happened was that every time you want to send something to space, you build a rocket, you put it on, and you use it only once. So the entire cost of building the rocket was a one-time use. It's like building a 787 and only flying once. Yeah, so the business model got much better because they don't have to rebuild another ship. They can reuse the same one. So the cost per launch is much cheaper. Yeah, so the equivalent price for a launch of what Elon was offering prior to his service was about 180 million. He now charges 60 million. And then that was before reusable. Because he figured out how to get the ship back and send it again. Yeah. Now he's working to get it to around 20 to $30 million per launch. That's how massive of a drop. And because satellites are also getting smaller, we get to do something called ride sharing. You know, like you share an Uber with a friend, mm. split the cost. Hey, take out my data. Exactly. Yeah. Same thing. So I found fees to launch satellites into space for less than 20, 30,000 Australian per kilogram. So if I have a satellite that's one kilo and we build one kilo satellites quite often um, in these testing phases, 30 grand, 50 grand, send something into space. Well, what does it do up there? Um, so usually we build them that small to test different things. So um, I have friends who are building businesses to assemble other satellites. So we're wondering whether these small one, one kilogram satellites can be, be like Lego blocks in space to assemble satellites. Oh, can come together and like join forces, yeah. like transformers. Exactly. There's things like that being discussed in the industry. Um, I have another friend. So, so sorry. Yeah. So you could be like, hmm, I want a new feature. Like I want an extra part of my satellite. I'm going to send this one up and just connect him. Bing, and much. then like your satellite could do something new, like turn on your fridge or off your fridge. Yes. Very interesting. You know, so um, there's a huge drop in cost. So all the access to what data you can provide from space and other services are very cost effective. And that's the transition point, right? When the value of the product is worth more than the cost, you have a business. Mm. And that transitioning is occurring right now for the space industry at not at a billion dollars, not at a, at, it's more like a million dollars and you can have a real mission. Sorry, when the value of a product is worth more than the cost, you have the a value to the consumer yes. as opposed to the cost of the product. That's correct. Yeah, okay. And so what does all this mean uh, in terms of the space industry and for you and for others who want to get in the space industry? Okay. What it means is that for about 100,000 Australian, it is possible to build a space business. Which is cheaper than most businesses. Yep. Um, I could have built 20 space businesses with carbon. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of people are working on figuring out how to get really cheap. And a lot of people are playing with, right now with a lot of the data, right? So you buy a data stream. I paid for a couple of satellite images, a couple hundred bucks per image. Mm -hmm. I can already build a business on that. You, you know, it's not that expensive. Um, in the land of hardware, a little bit more, but we're getting there. And the industry is going from 600 billion USD per year to a trillion a year in the next 10 years. So if you want to be part of that $400 billion jump, you have to be making hardware in space. And, and really, so the, the cost lowering of an industry increases the ability, uh, increases the pool of people able to enter the industry, which obviously increases the mines and uh, 
the brain power for an industry. Yes, and also it, increases the market value of the industry. And, and the market value of the industry. And therefore, what you're saying is the industry will have an acceleration of growth because unlike other industries which are already full, you could say, this industry is not yet full. So the value of the industry will go huge as yeah. as it fills. So it's a young industry. Yeah, so think of obviously. it. It's like the internet in the, 90, in the 1990s. We're there at that point of the precipice. Okay. Right? You come in now, it's still expensive, it's still a little bit difficult, but their costs are coming down finally. But if you make it, if you figure it out, you ride the wave. All innovation, regardless who you, which industry you choose, people who enter at that point are the ones who make the money or at least understand enough on how to play the game. Like Kind of like Google? Like, okay, yeah. internet's there, but nothing's really that great on you. Let's build God. Well, that's kind of what they did. Like, you don't ask, you know, for asking your praise anymore. You're like typing Google, like, hey, what is this? You know? Yeah, Google answers more than God does in that sense. Yeah. And and so tell me then, what are some, if I want to get in the space industry, I can p- better picture getting in the tech and in- internet space because obviously they're established industries and I've got examples like Google, I just said, or tech, like Apple. Mm. But like, what's an example other than, uh, what's it called? SpaceX. That, that you know, what's ex- what are examples of space businesses that people could, could start? Like, what could I start? I will give uh, three quick examples about 30 seconds each, right? Okay. First one, farmers use GPS to plant their crops. The more accurate your GPS, the more crops you can plant. Okay. So GPS is accurate to about 10 meters. If you do augmented GPS services, they get down to one centimeter. So that margin of error means you can get more crops in the field, which means you get more money. Okay. All right. So it's like agriculture space Ag- agriculture. companies? Yeah. That's, that's one, that's agriculture space. And those who do, then the second is those who do data collection from space. They take photos of some kind. And, and, we, people have used this, uh, and a lot of the conversation goes to financial traders. I want to know whether a ship is delayed because then I can either long or set short a stock. Trust the traders yeah. to, to find a way for space to help them so, predict things. So one of the tricks, I, one company had this business case. So they will look at oil storage on the surface. So these oil containers are not supposed to have air. So they all have a floating lid. So when you put oil in, the lid floats up. You can see the shadow of the lid from space and the lid. So you can use the time of day shadow to deter- and this known size of the container to know how much oil is actually stored on the surface. Wow. But all these things have one thing in common is that it's vision. They can all see things better. Mm-hmm. What else does space give us with that okay. outside of vision? Um, my friend Jason runs a company called Save Astronautic. He is doing space weather. Does he tell you the weather that's going to happen on the earth from space? Or does he tell you what's happening in space? He can tell you in space okay. what's going on. All right. And why is that important? The, the biggest one that rarely happens and we pray it never happens is something called corona mass ejection. If that ever hits at the point of Earth, you can kiss every electronic goodbye. If it's a big enough one, the substations will all explode. So a corona mass ejection- Why is, does everything bad lately have corona in it? <laughs> there goes that brand. Yeah. So look, that is certainly a bit more of a rare occasion, but you have- but it happens often enough in the space industry that we turn off satellites and adjust the power grid to prevent overload, right? We do this regularly already. Um, it's just not something you have to worry about day to day as a normal person. But what is the actual thing? What, what is it? Is it just an energy surge from space that like, uh, a, like, oh yeah. a, like your, power, like your um, switchboard switching out? Okay, I think the simplest way is thinking the sun having a, like a eruption, like a geyser, a volcanic eruption. And it's so massive. The amount of heat and energy that comes out fires out not just particles, but a sh- lot of electromagnetic energy towards the earth. And basically, it's such a high amount that every wire, every layer of copper you have in your electronics becomes an antenna, receives it, and turns it into an electrical current and fries everything. Interesting. So the entire power grid effectively is a giant antenna, absorbs it, and the power has nowhere to go. It fries it. Yeah, and so the short answer is substations explode. So in the 1990s, we had substations explode at the last one. And so your friend, is his business basically measures those things. Yeah, measures those, how various space weather affects various... Like, so all your sensitive electronics and services get to be maintained. So GPS requires that you know what's going on there to both maintain accuracy and to make sure that the service stays running in the event such a thing happens. But how could someone like... Like me, the average, I always use me as an example, but the average person, like the average entrepreneur, 
how could they get involved with space? Like how could you think, oh, that's a great idea. I'm going to do that. Because obviously I'm not going to think about space corona. <laughs> Wait, I always know if I say something funny because Laura starts laughing. <laughs> yes, space corona, yeah. space corona. <laughs> think of it this way. Um, right now, everybody wants to send stuff up, is trying to provide services to stuff in space. So we have people trying to build things to repair satellites, um, build satellites in space. Um, but we are also providing services. And this, I think this is where you're coming from. Mm. So the International Space Station allows you to do commercial endeavors on it. So one of the things you could do is, for example, you want to do a biological experiment. And a few people have done this, is they have sent, um, they sent a yeast to space to grow to see how it adapts. And they brought it back to make beer. Did it grow? Yeah. So there's, there's space beer like that. Um, Jason also has a space beer. So Jason has beer that's designed to be drunk in space because the first drink any, like one of the first drinks we had at a civilization was alcohol. So alcohol's thing, right? One of the first man-made drinks. Exactly. So Jason has built a kind of, worked with another beer company. Um, I don't, the name escapes me now, but they figured out how to make a beer you can drink in space because there's no, so on earth. So because if you try to drink a normal beer in space, it'll float up. There's no gravity. Oh, no, even better. So you have a bottle. You do this, right? Yeah. So without gravity, it doesn't flow down because it does this. It goes to the back of the bottle. Ah. So you can't actually drink it. So you have to put like a special straw. straw. You don't suck. It actually pulls itself up. It has to, then you just so <laughs> on the beer. And so you'd be able to drink beer with that straw. Yeah. And your friend invented that straw? So, um, the, 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 the formula for the beer, the straw, all that stuff, like figure that out. Yep. Um, that's a great company, Space Bee. I yeah. would back that. Yeah. So, so he has helped put together Space Beer like like ten plus years ago. Wow. And and it sells, and it's actually a decent beer. <laughs> Is it? Yeah, I've, I had the beer before. It's a good beer. I like it. That's pretty cool. And tell me, what it, I mean, it just sounds like like a lot of the issues that can happen with this space company just seems so like a huge. Yeah, it's a big deal. Like if your rocket crashes, like if I was Elon Musk and all those rockets crash, I'd be like, fuck. Yeah, you know, that would suck. But, um, but what's I mean, what what's probably the biggest issue you've ever had in business currently? The hardest thing you've you know, the hardest challenge. Well, I think you brought it up already, and it's it's most people don't understand it. Like, I can't if I talk about my business and the services I'm doing, it's very hard for somebody else to relate to it mm -hmm. because it's a it's a it's a world in itself that is now only beginning to interact with other industries. If you're an accountant, everybody needs accounting. Everybody needs legal. But not everybody needs a spaceship. Not everybody needs a satellite. Mm -hmm. Eventually, yeah, that's going to happen. Everybody uses a satellite of some service that they will provide. But till then, right, um, it's hard for people to understand what that business is. Mm, so, I agree. You know, so that's been one of the challenges. So I would go and I'm, I'm also an outsider to the space industry because I'm not trained as a space person. So I go talk to the space folks and they go, you're not in space, but you've been here long enough. Listen, but you're not trained in it. Would you call yourself more a communications expert, like networking and all that, network provide, um, networking business, right? Yeah. Like that's I had, is that communication? Yeah, communication. Yeah. Um, I had to figure out the tech myself, but I'm predominantly a business person now. Yes. Mm -hmm. and, and, and how did COVID affect the industry? Was it a negative or positive effect on the industry? Immediately, <laughs> Earth Corona. Earth Corona, yes. Earth Corona, um, like everything else, we had to shut, we had to shut down. Um, you're building hardware. You will always have people in close proximity. So there was a big scare at the front as always. Um, but a lot of services, like things that are already in orbit, have to keep running. You can't shut down GPS because of Corona. Everybody needs it. So you can imagine the folks in the US Air Force maintaining it still, right? So there's a lot of the industry that just kept ticking along. It's an essential. But what about things that are outside of the normal? Like, for example, we all had to. Um, uh, you mentioned uh, you mentioned a lot of like the the change in geopolitics mm -hmm. through COVID has affected you. Like, obviously, that affects a lot of businesses. Yes, particularly big international corp corporations yeah. and things like that. But but um, but you mentioned that that particularly was a, a large effect to the industry. Why is that? Okay, so the first thing you got to understand geopolitics is that end of World War Two. Uh, the U.S. came in and established effectively the global order. And their deal was, you help us fight the communists, 
we will use our military force to protect you and we'll allow you to trade yourself back into existence, into prosperity. Uh, so you don't have separate empires anymore. Everybody gets to trade. So everybody in one swoop got economic prosperity, access to various goods, and a rule of law internationally. But, but World War II was, wasn't a fight against communism, wasn't it? It was a fight against the Nazis. Yes, but at the end of World War II, they were really, communism was just beginning. So like, they saw the battles in Russia on the data, right? And they were really scared of what the communists were going to do because they, they knew the world would be split in two. So the Americans drew this line, right? And then created this order. And that's what the, like the Cold War was about, right? And for 70 years, largest period of peace and prosperity the human race has ever seen. Yeah, because when everyone's rich, no one's got nothing to complain about. Right. That's going away. Well, that's also kind of the argument to communism. Hate communism for the record, but I can see how they would try to switch that. That's all going away. So what happens is you have 70 years of this thing you have you can take for granted in business that's gone. So for us, in Australia, um, for me, it's like, oh, I can sell internationally, I can talk to all these countries, you know, and then suddenly I can't now. So like in current affairs, you know, Australia's have made a bit of a spat with, with China at this point. So it's a lot more difficult to do business with China. And then, you know, China and the US are having their massive spat at, um, and have trade war and, and it's not in the news, but it's affecting both of them very significantly. China more negatively, America more positively. Why is that? Explain. So the way what China did to get prosperity is that they subsidized the economy to for manufacturing, right? And so all the world's manufacturing- Basically free system. labor. Exactly. Yeah. When you have an infinitely large pool, cost is low. Makes sense. Um, that's not gonna and happen. Infinitely large pool, you mean population. That's right. Yep. Um, Sorry, I always try to do that just in case anyone in here, the listeners. Oh, thank you it. very yeah. much for that. I <laughs> must practice being more clear in my language. So I do appreciate it. Um, You're welcome. <laughs> so, but now that's labor is not the primary cost driver, it's energy. So, where is the lowest cost of energy in the world right now? And that actually sits in Texas. Because sh when you do shale oil, right, the waste product is. Methane is, is natural gas. You can't really store it. You know, you have to use it as you produce it. So what they all end up doing is burning it for electricity. When you have an unlimited supply of waste gas that you're burning for electricity, you crash the price. So the lowest cost energy to do business is in the UN, United States right now. And that is the same legal domain that you can build and sell, you're moving your factories over because then it's easy. And Toyota did that already. But sorry, and so the cheapest place to do business is in the US. Is that in terms of the energy needed to produce things in factories? Yes. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Okay. Because they can and produce the cheapest energy. Exactly. So the biggest cost driver in like over 10,000, 20,000 years is how much energy, the cost of energy. If you lower the cost of energy, all the industry flows to that direction. And rid of poor trade deals and subsidies yeah. and things like that. Exactly. Okay, very good. And and how do you picture – so two questions. A, how has this geopolitics currently affected your, your business? But also what's your vision of the next, I don't know, few years or decade of uh, prediction of what's going to happen with the world's geopolitics? Okay. So for my business, the first thing is, of course, it's hard for us to have meetings and conversations. This is a lot of in-person meetings we do. Um, and it also has increased the amount of like security and scrutiny on who we do business with. So back in the day, if you take investment from certain countries, you're fine. Now, if you get if you had investment from that country, you can forget about doing business with certain entities, you know? So these are yeah, not- Yeah, countries hate each other now. Yeah. China bought into your company. Oh, no, nah, I don't want to deal with your company. So things like that are happening. Mm -hmm. And so there are a lot of people being screwed and a lot of people have to navigate their way out of it. So there's a lot, it's not stuff you normally worry about, but you do have to worry about it now. So an investment you took in your company 20 years ago might now mean you can't get defense contracts. Yeah, okay. And because also space industry, things of that nature where it's a, it's almost a global, you know, it's, like, it's a global thing, space kind of, you know, yes. it affects everybody all the big, the most, the wealthiest countries are the ones funding them. That's correct. So suddenly the businesses have all split because the American companies are over here, the Russian companies are over, it's like the Cold War all, all, all over again. There's a little, there's been, that's been going on for God knows how long already. Oh, okay. um, 
what is it's just hard as like I want to use suppliers in Europe. I can't even test their parts because I would want to order it. They have to build it, and they can't build it because you know they're in lockdown. Mm. Um, I have one friend who wants to launch uh, use a Polish satellite for launch, one of his parts for testing. He needs to fly over for the integration to the satellite. He can't fly over. Uh, you got. You- you guys need to put your powers to better use with your, your super brains. If anyone can figure out these communication problems, it's you guys. You shouldn't be worried about face-to-face. I'm surprised you guys even meet face-to-face anymore. You're space people. You should definitely figure out how to use Zoom. The reason was space <laughs> Or at least holograms to make yourself a bit different. The reason was space people, we like to stay away from everybody. We go out there, there's nothing to bother yeah. us. Yeah. 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 And, and, and so, but what about the next, what are your predictions of what's going to kind of unfold I, I know you're you're not particularly. Yeah, uh, are you an expert on this topic, or is this is this just uh, something that you know a lot about? Um, if you are in the space industry, you require to know a little bit of geopolitics to just make your business work. Um, and one quick example is I'm figuring out how to drop cell phone towers from space back to Earth. So it could easily, if I made a mistake, and the only other use case that I have found that describes what I do is dropping nuclear warheads. So am I dropping nuclear weapons to kill a country or save a country? Got to be a little careful about that, right? Or governments have to be careful about exactly. allowing you to do that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. so think about it. If, if, I, if, I was a, if I got a phone call and dropped it in California and I didn't tell the US government, does the US government and US defense forces think I've just started a nuclear war? Oh, so you need to have relationships with, yeah. I don't know, the industry is obviously very well connected. There's yeah, that, some but, sort of governing body or yeah, exactly. union of the sort. Yeah. So we have to go through all those channels, but you have to know the, the politics to understand the concerns, right? And that's what I, every space company has to, to know in order to make it work. Okay, and so what do you think is going to happen now? The next, you've had what ha- the attack on the capital in the US has caused a big controversy. Yeah, um, look, in geopolitics land, there are decades when nothing happens and there are days when decades happen, right? What happened in the US is the days when decades happen. First, I would say that I don't condone the violence. I think it was a horrible thing and I'm glad that they put it under control and they're going to deal with it. Um, but what it demonstrates is the US is a very divided country right now and it must turn back on itself to take care of itself, rightfully so. They must unite. Exactly, yeah. But that also removes the U.S. umbrella that has been covering the world. So you can do international trade because the U.S. actually has been providing security for global commons. If that goes away, you are going to have a hard time traveling and providing security and safety to your shipping and to your flights. Uh, if the U.S. focuses on itself, it's going to stop focusing on the rest of the world mm. and therefore they'll get stronger and the rest of the world will. Well, maybe you don't know what happened. Maybe people should start looking after themselves. That's true. But a lot of countries can't. So unfortunately, China looks like it's in a very bad position. I don't think it might be. Um, some of the advice I've been getting is that China may not be a country in the next 10 years. Oh, I highly doubt that. I highly doubt that. I think China is going to be the country in the next 10 years. We shall see. Yeah, and also, you know, the Chinese, um, I'm not a fan of what they're doing in this country, Stay that first, but they they are very strategic thinkers. It's an incredibly old country and old civilization, and they think incredibly strategically and long term. You know, so you kind of always like, oh shit, did they plan this? Is this in their plan somewhere? And in the next fifty years, the benefits going to come? Like you're almost, or are they? Nah, this is just a bunch of bullshit happening. <laughs> you don't know what's planned and what's uh, and kind of what's not. Well, look. When you have a, a government system like the Chinese, like like China has, all right, um, you when you make a choice, it can play out for 10, 20 years, all right, because it's structured to do so. The system, the the powers are be are there longer. Yeah, um, but when things go wrong, they are slower to act. So for that to work, things must go according to plan. If things don't go according to plan, you get in trouble very very quickly. Mm-hmm. So. The coronavirus is an example of that because the government left it to the states to deal with um, to deal with it individually, and therefore it was a very piecemeal approach, right? What do you mean by piecemeal? Um, different. Everybody had different styles of lockdown and things. Oh, okay. You know, some were harsher, some were less. 
but it wasn't a unified. It took a while before they unified their approach. And geopolitically speaking, nobody trusts any of the data coming out of China. Yeah. yeah. So like, um, we don't know what's going on because they don't want to share it. Yes. And and, and so um, uh, just to, to get off the topic of geopolitics, I wanted to go to something that, I, that uh, you were telling me some crazy facts about before, which is industries that are currently having exponential growth. So you, obviously you mentioned the space industry. Mm-hmm. Huge growth, you may, uh, but but what are some of the other kind of trends people could jump in on that you're aware of? All right, so the basis of all of it is Moore's law that computing power doubles every 18 months, and that translates to the ability to process twice as much information in the same time frame or the same cost. And all the industries that can take um, ac- access that gain a benefit. So, so access Moore's law, you called it? Yeah, access Moore's law, right, which is uh, computational power doubling every 18 months which means you double the information you have access to. And if you look at it, you look at, say, Google, the ability to compute and process all the information to be searched, great. You look at Uber, the ability to compute um, and easy access everybody's position to provide you a delivery service for transport. That's a kind of technology, right? Um, if you look at um, the drones industries, we've done really good at that. So what happens is we're really good at using that capability to model and design that allows us to build drones that are now effectively doubling their capacity um, in terms of carrying capacity every 18, 24 months, I believe. So they can carry more. Yeah. Um, And that trend has now gone into the electric grid, like in renewable energy, it's dropping rapidly. Um, Wind energy is now cheaper than solar in some places, right? And solar is still dropping. Um, And so what causes, okay, it's all well and good to say, um, uh, the companies that... Access these more guys, Moore's guys law, uh, Moore's law um, are doing that. But what gives them access to that? So you're just saying every what- computer you can buy, because that's going on right there and there. So if you build a business, if you're starting out, what most people do, they spend time for money. You build a service, you get paid for the service, time for money. But if you can then take um, information and process it automatically, right? So if you are being able to say, I can now use a computer to automatically find passengers for a taxi service, you have Uber. So you don't have to pay someone to, to direct the taxi, yeah. go respond to the person, call the, call the driver, send them over. The calls, person calls back in five minutes. Hey, how long is my driver? Oh, I don't know. Who gets exactly. The so I'll, I'll use an example, uh, Gmail. Mm-hmm. All right. So back in the early 1990s, it cost money to have an email account, five bucks, 10 bucks, 15 bucks, depending on your service provider. Um, the cost of providing an email service now is cents for like a hundred account, like tens, a dollar gets you a hundred email accounts in the back end in terms of management costs, right? That cost has dropped so low because it's so easy to process the information for an email service um, that is so cheap. Therefore, what businesses popped up? Gmail popped up, um, do you, which is advertising. So the idea is lots of users on a free email platform and suddenly I can re- generate advertising revenue off it. So basically, I think I got it now. So basically, it's companies that are able to best utilize technology to improve their operations and therefore serve more people. So for Cub, right, it would be like the equivalent of us not having to manually choose everybody's core groups each core season. Right? We could have a computer choose the groups better than we could, which could therefore allow us to have more members. We could have 10,000 members and no one having to choose their groups. The computer could do it based on better data and analytics and that would make it more efficient. It'd make it quicker. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's what we mean. We're on the same page. Exactly. Awesome. Mate, before we wrap up, we normally like to wrap up with a book recommendation and I wanted you to share your greatest lesson in business and if if you don't mind, I wouldn't mind reading it. Go ahead. Um, Focus on your – so your greatest lesson in business – Focus on your personal growth. You are the biggest limiter to your business. As I struggle through my own challenges on both the personal front and my own inner monologue on how the world work on the ha- on how the world would work, my business could not take off. But for every hurdle I cleared in my personal growth, my business grew and my capabilities grew as well. It is very scary reading something when you know there's thousands of people that <laughs> listening to you read. You know, you're like buckled, it's like saying a speech. Anyway, I did all right job. Um, I fully agree with that. You are the center. Like you, you, you as an individual need to be strong. So therefore make your business strong. 
And that's obviously something you found. Yes. Um, and, and you were struggling with uh, just personal issues or? Um, you know, I, I caught to Australia. When I was in Singapore, I didn't do well in my education. And so I'm not a lot of people, I was quite embarrassed. Um, I basically got kicked out of, the, of Polytechnic after failing a subject three times. What's Polytechnic? Um, so the Australian equivalent is TAFE. Okay. So basically being kicked out of TAFE for not being good enough. Yeah, that's pretty embarrassing. You know, so I got, I came here to Australia to study, right? And I was embarrassed. So I was working my ass off to like actually get better and get good at what I'm doing. And there was a whole bunch of things about, like when I got here, I was like, I was very lonely. I didn't know what to do, who to talk. Didn't know how to do stuff, right? There's a lot of things you just take for granted. And you know, that mental hit space of like, you don't have any friends. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know anything about anything because you're a young kid still. How do you actually climb out out of that? You know, and a lot of it developed into a fear I had about doing stuff and doing things wrongly. So and and so really, I mean, that was that's an extreme issue that you you solved and you accomplished in your yeah. life. But even on the daily, there's small issues that you overcome and insecurities that you overcome to in order to to be a strong person and and to succeed. I I really love that lesson. That's why I wanted to read it. Um, and what about your a book recommendation? So um. I like a book right now I'm enjoying reading called Disunited Nations uh, by Peter Zeihan. So he's, Peter Zeihan is one of those geopolitical analysis um, I follow. And he wrote this book about how the world will turn um, just prior to COVID, right? And when COVID happened, you could, the book, he's writing a new book because he thought he had like five years before he had to write a new book. Now it's immediately relevant. Because the COVID accelerated yeah. everything. So what you see in Disunited Nations um, was written in the context of what will play out in the next 10, 20, maybe 30 years. This United Nations is now what's playing out in the last six months. And it will probably continue on. Like that book's predictions end probably in about 12 months. That's how 30 years strength to such a tiny time frame. So that's like almost like the ability to see the future to some degree. It's a really cool book for for a a really relevant and cool book into it. And really what you're talking about, more of that, you're talking more of that geopolitics stuff or are you talking more about technology? Um, it's a geopolitical book. Mm -hmm. So it more about, it's more about how the different countries uh, are going to change structurally. And, and it's, it's all evidence-based. So you do, here's the data points for the populations, this is the growth, this is their geography, right? So those are hard facts that you can't ignore. And they are proven through 20,000 years of human history that those are the facts that stand. Interesting. So, I've got to buy that. Add it to my library. Um, awesome. And uh, is there anything else that you'd want to say before we wrap up? If you're, to, This is for anyone who's like new in business and is thinking about it. Don't be afraid to give it a go. Um, we all screw up at the start. Just make sure you have friends to catch you. Exactly. Surround yourself with the right people. Cub. <laughs> all right. Thanks, everyone. See ya.